Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow provides meaningful screen time and shared experiences for families to help you grow in your faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com. Jay and Catherine Wolf are survivors, communicators, and advocates. Since 2008, Jay and Catherine have been disrupting the myth that joy can only be found in a pain-free life through speaking events, best-selling books, a thriving online community, and Hope Hills Camp for families affected by disability. Originally from the South, they met in college, married, and moved to Los Angeles to pursue law school for Jay and the entertainment industry for Catherine. In 2007, Catherine miraculously survived a catastrophic stroke caused by a congenital brain defect she never knew she had. After a 16-hour brain surgery, 40 days in the ICU, a year in neuro rehab, and 11 operations, she continues her recovery to this day. Eventually, Jay and Catherine move back to the South, where they now live with their two boys, We are honored to have Jay and Catherine with us today to offer hope and encouragement for when life brings struggle. We had the great pleasure of meeting the two of you at a speaking engagement that the four of us did together in South Carolina, and it was such a gift to be able to tell you both how long we have respected and enjoyed the two of you to get to be with you in person. And for anyone who has not had the great pleasure of meeting you or knowing you yet, would you just tell us some about your story? Sure. The condensed version at 26 years old as a young married couple living in California, originally from the Deep South, and with a six-month-old baby in the next room, I suffered a massive brainstem stroke and very nearly died. And all of that was out of absolutely nowhere, no medical history, no family history, no no issues, perfectly, typically able-bodied, and seemingly nothing was wrong with me. And when I collapsed and went into surgery to save my life, they determined that I had what's called an AVM, which is a kind of like a really bad aneurysm that ruptures in your brain. Mine did and caused a massive stroke. And then in order to keep me alive, they did 16 hours of microbrain surgery. I did live, but um, became extremely disabled after the surgery because in order to keep me alive, much had to be sacrificed, including my ability to walk And way beyond that, really everything. I was taken down to about zero. And largely to this day, we're about 13 and a half years later, Mm -hmm. I am am still severely disabled. I can't 
walk on my own. I can't drive a car. I have major problems seeing. I'm deaf in one ear. I um, have double vision, though. I can see well enough to see two images. If you could see me right now, you'd see that my face is paralyzed on one side, and I use a device to help me speak that's in, in my mouth, and I have a laundry list of major, <laughs> major health problems. Mm-hmm. I've had 12 surgeries since the stroke, broken multiple bones from bad falls, and really had a hard, hard story since the stroke. But paralleling that has been just a wonderful recovery. And I've gone on to have a second child who's six years old now. And we have created and founded an incredible ministry. We have a camp for families with disabilities, and we speak and write and really just share what God has done in our story, enabling Hmm. me to continue living, our marriage to continue, our family to thrive, and to really do what's called, we believe, post-traumatic growth after Hmm. terrible tragedy. That's great. Yeah. And also, we love meeting y'all. We just jumped right in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no <laughs> And it was so cool to see all the different connects in Nashville and, and beyond as we sort of started trekking with y'all more and then really tapping into all your wonderful wisdom about raising kids and raising boys. We have two boys, as Catherine said. And, you know, in so many ways, there's just this second chance life that permeates our days and our the hard stuff and the mundane stuff. And yet there's this reality that really none of this should be here because Catherine shouldn't be here. And even her surgeon had said the first miracle really six months before her actual stroke was that when she had James, that she didn't die in childbirth and that he didn't die in the process or something because of all that was going on in her brain. It was just a miracle that she made it and he made it. And then we went on to have John and, and that we're here as a family. And yet that doesn't mean it, you know, you're exempted from just the ordinary stresses of life, much less adding disability and, you know, just working together and some of these other unique parts of our story. So anyway, thank you for just mm-hmm. helping be a resource for us. And we, we just love mm-hmm. knowing you more and, and just seeing all the ways that our life's work are interwoven through different relationships. It's a joy. I think that's where your message has resonated so much with us of just the hope and the redemption that you all are speaking out into the world yes. and, and how Obviously, our jobs are to walk with folks who are struggling and suffering. And so just feel so grateful for the light and the truth that you shed into Mm. those places. Thank you. Right back at you. Yeah. Just so happy to champion your message and your voices every opportunity that we get. Oh, gosh. Thank you. You are so much. Okay. In fact, I did not tell you all this before we jumped on to record, but just last night, I was teaching a class here in Nashville on raising resilient kids. And literally, one of my slides is just a quote from the two of you, which is really just my pitch to get everyone to read your book. So I just put this quote up that's beautiful and stunning and a reflection of of the very thing you just said, Sissy, of what you are doing in this world. And I get so excited. I mean, I feel like so many folks already know you or may have read you, but for anybody who hasn't, that's my whole purpose at that point in the talk is just to introduce folks to your work because I believe the very thing you just said. That's so true. So we are such champions of you both. Do you remember the quote? I'm so yes, curious. Drum roll. I'm happy to share it with you. And I just love when your names pop up huge on a big screen, but it's 
what you speak to your boys of God made you. Oh, yeah. Will you all say it? Because you say it so much better. God made you to do the hard thing in the good story that he's writing in your life, whether today Mm. is the best day or the worst day or the last day. We're called to live it well for him. Mm. There it is. That sums it up pretty much. I was it about does. to say, we could end the podcast here. I know. I <laughs> yes. get teary every time I read your words. I get teary every time Aww. I talk about you. And I just am so, so grateful for the life-giving work you all are doing in this Aww. world. I know that. Well, thanks for sharing about that. That means a lot. Yes, I believe in it. Well, speaking about that book, the, the latest book is called Suffer yes. Strong. And we would love for y'all to talk a little bit about what that means to you both and particularly what it means to you in terms of parenting and y'all's journey there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Really, that is the summary idea in terms of just passing down the lessons that we've learned through this story that we've lived out that we never imagined living and to suffer strong is sort of the lessons learned in our previous book, Hope Heals, is kind of more of the memoir of the story. And yet, I think story is one of the most powerful ways in which we learn things, because I think story hits sort of the left and the right parts of our brain in a way almost nothing else does. And it really helps us mm-hmm. sort of superimpose yeah. and take away in our own story, in our own life. And so, Suffer Strong is, we sort of distilled some of the real quintessential lessons over about a decade of living out this story of disability and the story of resilience and unknowns and finding God in the midst and wounding and healing and all these things. Suffering and strength are not two ideas that we often hold together. Right. And I think we wanted from the very get-go to to say, from that title to the very end, where we kind of do the epilogue of, of saying this prayer over our kids at night and this admonition that God did make you to do the hard thing. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's also not really good. And Mm-hmm. Um, to wrestle with that dichotomy and that juxtaposition. Because so often our brains, we just want to say, okay, here's the compartmentalized version of life. Here's the tribe I fit in. Here's the box, you know, God fits in. And our brains just really want to sort of understand and make sense of the chaotic unknown by doing that, but it's just not reality. And so often it tees us up for this expectation of what our life will be. And if it's not exactly that way, then it feels like there's so much loss and suffering and we can't make sense of it or good yeah. within it. And I just think we want to explode that notion from our kids' hearts as early as we can to say, you know, it probably will be really different than you think it's going to be, but that's okay still. Mm -hmm. And it might be really, really hard in ways you never imagined, but it can still be the place that goodness grows. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just teeing up that reframing. So much of we say what happens to you, of course, you can't control. Even like try to pray something into existence. It doesn't always work like that, obviously. Right, yeah. You know, the best thoughts and the best knowledge and all of this, we really still can't control the outcomes of our life, no matter how much we think we can. Yet we can control how we think about them and the story we tell ourselves about ourselves and the takeaways that we want to look back on our lives and then move forward using. So that's really what the book is about. And we kind of define it out in all these different little specific areas of life that can go kind of two ways. You know, when we talk about celebration, what if we redefined that? So the celebration is not the end, but it's a process, and we celebrate in the midst. Mm. Thinking about healing, what if healing is not just about the external? What if it's something way deeper? Yeah. Mm. So we kind of just sort of try to subvert, which I think is so much of the gospel, so much of the upside-down kingdom is this sort of subverting what we think it's going to be to something totally different, but really so much better and so much deeper. Just hearing y'all say that, Obviously, we talk a lot about anxiety in kids today, and I feel like particularly, and I see so many more girls, but 
the verse that I have anchored to in the last year and a half is John 16, 33, about in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my theory as far as why girls were so anxious and not developing resilience is they didn't think this world was supposed to have trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then when it hit, they felt like, what's wrong with me? And I think they would get stuck there because of it. And so to help them understand that there are going to be hard parts of your story. Mm-hmm. I love that so much because I think it just inherently leads them to resilience and to look for the redemption in it. A hundred percent. So it's a, see, I don't think I grew up necessarily understanding that. I think maybe something that my parents did right and that I ended up doing right was tuning into voices of significant suffering. I got really obsessed with Cory Ten Boom when I was a young yes. girl and looking at things like the Holocaust and the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. I can remember really being drawn to Rosa Parks, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. voices wow. that were very different from what I was experiencing as a affluent, privileged child in Athens, Georgia. And yet the thread was deep in there that life can be very hard mm-hmm. for everybody. Yes. We've analyzed a lot. Like, why has my brain been able to pivot so well to a life turned upside down? It's really it's a fascinating case study of what makes someone super resilient. Yes. We have seen and believe that somehow near death can activate something deep in the soul. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also an opportunity to really train the brain to pivot well, to really embrace a giving up of expectations Mm -hmm. and just a life that is what I would call fully surrendered Mm. and not obsessed with outcomes. Which is so hard, too, because we live in a meritocracy. And of course, if you're a tracking parent and probably blurring into maybe an <laughs> an over-involved parent, yeah, codependent, sure. God forbid. But like, we want our kids to be the best version of themselves. And so often, you know, then it, right. we project our own things that we didn't get to accomplish, or our own issues on them. And, right. and yet at the same time, like, that, that's easier said than done to say, hey, kids, like, we want you to try your best and make great grades and really be like wonderful people of character and love the Lord. But also, like, open your hands to like right. what happens in your life, you know? Right. So, yes. Right. It's, it's such a it's humbling yeah. task to try to hold mm. all of that together for kids. Because I think you're right. Like, if you had been so stuck on the version of your life you thought you were going to have, and then to experience such a reversal of it. And, and we've seen in a lot of people's stories, it's almost too much to bear. Right. To continue to get up out of bed into a life that you yes. are not really sure how you're going to keep living. And that's true in maybe big and small ways for all of us. And yet, mm. over time, I think engaging those stories, you know, and it's harder in a digital age, I think, where kids are just inundated with images that are not reality. The highlight reel, sure. Idealized versions of life have always been what humans <laughs> gravitate towards. So it's yeah, nothing totally yeah, true, new. True. Right. But maybe there is a way to just say, hey, you know what? Let's talk about this story. Let's follow this person on Instagram. I don't know. Let's interact with and talk through. Like We have access to understanding so much of the world, and that can be overwhelming. Mm. But it certainly can also shift something in sort of the myopic tendencies that we all have to think that 
our version of our story is the only mm. best and right version. So I'm both just weighted down by the reality of this season yeah. that our kids are experiencing, how it will influence their futures. But I'm also hopeful that there are some ways, again, that we can subvert some of those worst mediums and worst case scenarios into something really profoundly powerful right. um, for their flourishing and really for the healing of the world and the community that they're a part of and all those things. But. Mm. Absolutely. Yes. I don't know if you guys would necessarily be able to tell yet, but we have thought a lot about these things. Yeah. It's interesting, Love even it. the, the questions that you are asking. I would say we're borderline obsessed with just resiliency and raising children, really some of the things that you're spending your life unpacking mm -hmm. in a way we are too. Yeah, we don't yes. have the answers necessarily by any means, mm. but we definitely are asking the questions yeah. and very, very curious. Yes. I think at the end of the day, living out, you know, an example in a safe environment, bearing witness to a parent, an adult, someone you love in your life, coming through the wounding with some form of healing, you know, mm. overcoming the worst case scenarios and still finding joy, mm. going through a lot of unknowns and fear and somehow being a person of peace still. I mean, there's mm. no greater book or resource right. than just for a child to witness that. Mm. And oh, certainly sure. the reverse is true, you know, to not find that to be true of your parent or your caregiver or your loved ones. You know, of course, that deeply impacts. So it's motivating for us to try to live out with authenticity that messy, good, hard story. Because mm. at the very least, it is giving our kids sort of this osmosis of the, the fact that they can live that out too. Right. And in so doing, it's also making us want to continue to live it out with perseverance and more deeply and more authentically. So it's a win-win, but man, it is the life's work and it feels like two steps forward, one step back half of the time. Yes. Especially in this most recent season of just layered yes. stress. And, and for us, very interestingly, since we have a 13-year-old mm -hmm. eighth grader and a six-year-old kindergartner, we're at very different stages of parenting. <laughs> you and sure are. Talk about all the things with Man. kids who are really at different points of understanding things mm. like suffering and right. resilience and just pain mm -hmm. and just what it means to live in a world that is broken. Yes. And, you know, we're talking all the things <laughs> and really trying to navigate all of it well. Yeah, We think, and I have seen for sure, that so much of life needs re-narration by parents. Mm. Oh, that's a great, great statement. Yes. Yeah, you cannot say enough to, especially James, the 13-year-old, mm -hmm. what is going on in his story. He can't make sense of it, but mommy's here to help and yes. dedicated. I don't have the answers necessarily, but let's talk through this. And that is probably the one thing we're, we're doing right. It's really helping him narrate the world around him because mm -hmm. he's longing for narration. Mm -hmm. And we we think maybe a little further on the journey could use some narration than he's giving it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Well, and I want to say as a side note before I ask you all this next question, for, for folks listening, as we were talking about helping kids build understanding and that awareness and engaging stories, when I purchased my copy of your book for my wife and I to read, I got three copies for my kids. And Sissy and I would want to say to those of you listening, like, mm. obviously, we want you to read this book as parents. This is an amazing book. Yes, Amazing book for students to read as well. And so for anybody listening, I had the most thoughtful 
rich conversations with my kids after they read, devoured your book, and and that I think it creates that kind of opportunity Aww. for us to tell a different story and have a different conversation. Was it Hope Heals or Suffer Strong? Both. They've read know. both. Of All three well, of my kids read both your books and love them. Well, I love that. I love, love, love teenagers reading, mm-hmm. especially Hope Heals and seeing a picture of super young kids. I mean, we were 26 years old. And our life totally blew up, and yeah. yet our marriage and our family have stayed together. Mm. And I think it's really special for teenagers who think nothing, quote unquote, bad's ever going to happen to them yes. to see a story of what happens when it does and mm. what does it look like. And what's possible on the other side of it, too, yes. in, in the middle of it. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Did you know that Minnow has an award-winning children's Bible? Written by VeggieTales creator Phil Vischer, the Minnow Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids is more than a children's Bible storybook. It's a deep, engaging, and whimsical gospel experience. Each Bible story is vividly illustrated, takes just minutes to read, and includes a family connection to encourage readers to learn, talk, and pray together. Find out more at shop.gominnow.com. That's shop.gominno.com. This particular season of our podcast is called Modern Parents, Vintage Values, after a book that Sissy and Melissa co-authored. And what would you all say is a modern challenge you face in parenting? And what are some vintage values you hope to instill in your boys? It's just hard to overstate the digital age we live in and i mean we're 39 and i sound like the crotchetiest old man when i talk (laughs) to my kids about the i'm like you don't understand we had to sit down in front of the tv at a certain time commercials i don't i mean our six-year-old is like what is going on where's my show what is this commercial (laughs) hulu is sneaking in to anyway you know i tell our kids often like what an incredible resource you have literally distilled in your hand to understand the world and God and connect with humans. And yet it is the flip side. It is the most possibly disconnecting, disorienting, um, chaos-inducing thing to have really that like virtual tree of knowledge, I guess you could say. But just to see literally like if they're playing video games or watching a show, just like that veil go over. I'm like, we lived in LA for 14 years. And when you hear the trickle down of the Silicon Valley kind of folks, who send their kids to like almost an Amish level school without technology, you're like, right. hmm, mm-hmm. wow, maybe yeah. you know something I don't know. And I feel right. stupid now that <laughs> my kid has this, that, the other, we all have the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and so we're, we're definitely not anti-technology in, in a way to be, you know, just always, I think, hitting different angles of different arguments, you know, for Catherine and for so many folks with disabilities, which are the largest minority group in the world, people with disabilities. I think we haven't scratched the surface on how technology can help our friends with disabilities engage the world that is not made for them physically. And so I'm not like an anti-technology person, but I think like anything, just creating these really healthy and important boundaries give us the opportunity to flourish within those boundaries. You know, so it's not just like, no, bad, this is all, you know, we're going to, but it's like, right. hey, this is something really powerful that can be used either this way for good or are really to your detriment. Oh, for sure. And so it's really tough, Oh yeah. especially for our 13-year-old. We're fumbling our way through it. And luckily we're in a great community. I think so much of the community that your kids, especially if they 
get in their teen years that they surround themselves with, that's going to be such an uphill battle more and more so when everybody else has their phones and their social media and whatever. And so thankfully our school and the friend environment we have, that's a pretty restricted thing technologically in terms of just phones and all of that, you know. There's hardly any phones. James doesn't have one. Yeah, exactly. Giving them just enough freedom in the digital space is sort of where we're trying to find our happy balance. And it's Mm -hmm. evolving constantly without making it this like forbidden fruit, but just saying, you know, we're going to give you some freedom here. And then if that doesn't go great, (laughs) we're going to take it back. If it goes well, then there's more opportunity, you know, to be responsible. So it's working out well, but man, it is a just, it's rewiring the human experience in a way we don't even understand fully what the repercussions are going to be. So it's a lot Mm -hmm. going on, but that's where we're at. You know, every season of humanity has its own Mm -hmm. sort of seismic shifts. So this is definitely ours, but. Quite a seismic one. Yes. It's pretty deep. Yes. Anyway, so vintage. Well, the question, whether we want to bring back from our childhood, Uh growing up, my father had all of us kids in the car on the way to school Basically, almost have a morning pep rally on the way to school every morning. Really? Which sounds insane. Mm-hmm. And my sister Amy fought it like crazy for years. <laughs> but we would go through this whole thing, and it was— um, You should totally do it. I want to hear it. Please. It's good. It's kind of long. It starts with Johnny Appleseed. The Lord's been good to me. I'll <laughs> skip to the next one. The whole thing. Remember that one? Yes. What's it right after that? Forgive me. It's the sun ran the Appleseed. The Lord's been good to me. Amen. Today is going to be a great day. Great day. <laughs> Things are going to go Jesus way. Jesus way. I feel healthy. Healthy. Happy. Happy. Great. And then this is the day the Lord this has made. This is the day that the <laughs> Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. For this is the day. This is the day that the, the Lord, Lord has <laughs> made. And I think get them, guys. I think so it really did it. something. Yeah, y'all, that is awesome. It is so awesome. Oh, that's so yeah. fun. Yeah, it really impacted me deeply. I did not know it did, mm. but I deeply desire for James and John to do this chance <laughs> on our drive to school in the morning, and it's really sweet. I obviously cannot drive a car, so sweet Jay drives the morning and afternoon carpool. And because I have a weird condition that prevents me from being able to sit in the front seat and look backwards easily, I sit in the back behind him and James and John and mom and dad all ride to school every morning together, which this is another opportunity we feel like for parents to really mm. re-narrate. Like James and John, how special is it that your mom and dad together <laughs> yes. ride to school every day? Look around at the other cars. Do you see any mommy and daddies together in the mm. car? Well, no. Then we we link it up to say, well, you realize that is because mommy had a stroke. So even the worst Mm. things, as sad as the stroke is and what's happened to mommy, how special that we all go to school together Mm. now. (laughs) And really re-narrating like, this is actually this amazing blessing. Mm. And all because of something really sad and hard that happened. And Finding finding ways, I think, as parents to really narrate some of the hardest things we go through, the worst things, actually mm-hmm. have opportunities to make way yeah. for the very best things. Yes. It's always that balance, too, because what your dad was doing was sort of the precursor to, like, modern affirmations or sort right. of yes. Or something. Yes, yes. And I think there's an angle on that that is really 
profoundly powerful. Oh, you know, yeah. I think when you're assuming that whatever I say is going to manifest into the universe, that's right. where it gets weird and in prosperity gospel or whatever yeah, we want to sure. put onto that. Right. But when we say, you know what, why are you so downcast on my mm. soul? Yes. 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 Re-narrating yeah. in the psalmic way of like, we're going to hope in God. I'm not feeling it right now. And maybe I'm annoyed and I'm tired and whatever. And kids, we're all in the same boat of the weightiness of the world and human experience. But you know what? We're alive today and that's something. And God's given us breath and soul. We're going to get on board and just do this life to the best that we can today and find grace in the midst and maybe find new hope and purpose in the midst. On its surface, it almost looks like some like positive pep talk, self-helpy, right, right, but it's yeah. something way deeper. deeper to say. Absolutely, Absolutely it is. is. It's to, a mindset for sure. Yeah, you get yes. to claim something about the day and it may not change a whole lot, but at the very least it can change how you view it. One thing that I did actually early on after the stroke is something that I have inadvertently really brought into mm-hmm. our household which is this notion of Habakkuk 3, 17, 18, 19, that basically give a long list of the even those, even though the fig tree does not bud, even though there's no grapes mm-hmm. on the vine, even though the olive crop fails. And it goes on to say, and yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will mm-hmm. be joyful in God, my Savior. Mm-hmm. So way back in 2009, shortly after the stroke, I actually rewrote those words, um, rewrote the passage to fit my condition. Mm-hmm. And I've subsequently shared that multiple times with James and John that I really wrote out and shared, even though I cannot walk and even though I'm confined to a wheelchair and even though my face is paralyzed and even though I cannot smile and mm-hmm. even though I can't take care of my baby. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And now, link it up to today, whatever they're going through, I'll say, even though, even though, even though you didn't make the blank team, or even though you got a bad grade, or whatever it is, you can rejoice in the Lord despite Mm -hmm. your circumstances. And I think that powerfully impacts children. I know it did me to think yeah. that as a kid. Well, it's really claiming the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, we so often, again, sort of distort that. And I'm going to claim right. my success, and I'm going to claim these outcomes. But if you're claiming joy in your life, I think God gives that to us through His Spirit. And often in the midst of so many circumstances that would produce the opposite just right. on your own. And I think there's a certain sense of like God honoring that desire to say, I don't feel joyful, but God, please, through you and your work in my life, give that to me. I want that. I want peace. I want patience. So just kind of having our kids, again, not just like pray for a good day or, you know, to do great on your test or like nothing right. bad happens. Like pray that you'll find peace. Mm. Pray that God will give you self-control and that he will give you just kindness to other people that he brings into your life. And I think Mm. it's amazing that he gives us that when we just ask with a lot of humility. And so I think that's a great gift generationally that we're getting to give to our kids. Yes. And hopefully they'll give it to theirs. God yeah. Yeah, seriously. It might be like, we hate that song. They're going to be singing that song for generations in the they car. They probably will. Yes. Yeah, they'll, sure. they'll, they'll yes. say they won't, and then they will. Oh, they will. Oh, yeah. They're teaching their kids, no doubt. <laughs> we sit with parents every day who their kids are in distress and they want them to get to the yet yeah, and 
And so often they skip over the even them. Mm-hmm. Right. You're still offering so much empathy to kids where kids yes. feel heard mm-hmm. and understood, mm-hmm. and you're moving them towards something different right. and toward gratitude, which would really be kind of our next question. And yeah. I, I don't even know what you could say because everything you've said is all about helping instill gratitude in kids, but we feel like that's so important. And mm-hmm. is there anything y'all would say on top of what you've said already so beautifully that you feel like helps do that? Oh, yeah. I mean, gratitude is the whole deal. Yes. <laughs> it's the game changer. It is the game and changer. It, it's the superpower yes. in all of us to find gratitude. In fact, I found myself saying this recently, and I love it. How do you suffer strong? Mm. Well, I think it starts with radical gratitude for what remains in your story. Mm-hmm. That yes. whatever there is in the story when so much is not there anymore, it's radical gratitude. Mm-hmm. And for what remains. I love that word. Right. For yes. what remains. Yeah, yes. I do too. I found that coming out of my mouth a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I love that because mm-hmm. it is. What yes. remains may not be much, but it is what is there. Mm-hmm. It is a reality. So gratitude for that. Yeah. Yes. And I think so often we look for that miracle we thought we'd get or that outcome again. And so much about God, I think, impressed in our own journey through this medical story specifically was, you know, I thought there were people getting visions and praying for Catherine to be miraculously healed out of the bed. And over time we realized, oh my gosh, she did get the miracle. Like she shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. And so often we overlook the miracle right in front of us and the gratitude that we can find for the life that's right in front of us for some life, again, that we thought we were entitled to. And again, just re sort of focusing our eyes back to what is right in front of us? What's right in our hands? What's around our table? Right. You know, and not some faraway thing that, you know, probably is never going to happen. And we spend our whole life waiting and pining for that. And mm-hmm. we miss what's right in front of us. And the other practical thing that we try to do in talking about gratitude, you know, often you can slip in this kind of like comparison or, oh, it could be so much worse and sort of, I don't know, how much great shame or something. Yeah, yeah. So like not apologizing for the story that you've been given, but, you know, just being a great steward of it. And also the idea of blessing. Which, you know, again, is a very loaded word. And so being really like careful when we tee up the idea of gratitude for our kids, using the word blessing, if the implication is you've been blessed because you have this great house or this school or this food even, then the flip side is that those who do not have those things have not been blessed. Right. And that's not what we believe about the blessing of God through Christ over everybody in this world. And so anyway, that's just like a little side rabbit trail. But I just think that those kind of words matter as we intersect our faith and theology to our kids with suffering. And Mm. we just say, like, you've been really privileged for some reason in your life. God's given you these things, and you got to steward them well and Mm. for the cause of the other in this world. And it's one of the things that's really important as we, as the church, just sort of, I don't know, it's a slippery slope, again, of wanting to say, oh, well, we're the blessed ones. Right. So I guess that means you're not, you know? Right, yes. Kids pick up on that, and I think it reverberates into how they view the world and how, you know, as they become adults that believe they have this sort of blessing that everybody else didn't get or something, and that's just not the gospel life that we want to have. No, not at all. Mm. We've even asked them what they think of, did mommy get the miracle or did (laughs) she not? Well, mommy's alive. Mm. That's the miracle, but... Mommy's body doesn't work. What do you do with that? And we don't pretend to have the answers necessarily, but we let them see that we don't have the answers. Mm. We're wrestling with it, too, and it's mysterious. We won't know everything to heaven. Yeah. Right. Yes. You alluded to this a minute ago, Sissy, but it is, you know, to create space for that grief, to say, yes. yeah, this is really 
hard. This is not how in the grand best scheme of things that we would want this to go, but this is what it is. And so we mourn the loss of that. We grieve that together. And again, the church often fast forwards the grief and yeah. we've seen the, the outcomes the of that. Out. <laughs> yeah. right. Is exactly. it Richard Rohr, what's not transformed is transferred. Exactly. It's going to go somewhere oh, if for sure. we don't deal with it together. And we want our kids to have a safe space for that. We often say this is again, kind of harsh, but like we don't want to just slap a Jesus Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Right. You know, like, here's your Bible verse, we're good. And it's like, no, like, I'm wounded deeply. Yes. Oh, yeah. And we're going to need way more of Jesus than just a Band-Aid to get Ooh. through this. And and thankfully, we have him oh, to for sure. lead this way for our healing process. But mm. we don't just want to add some platitudes to something and not make space for We love, 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 love Scripture. We love mm. the Word of God. Mm. But to, like— Throw it up on somebody in their moment of deep pain is so ridiculous. That doesn't do anyone any favors, and they're going to need a lot more of Jesus than simply abandoning. Well, it's like, I can do all things through Christ. It's like, actually, you know, that means you can be content in any circumstance. Right. (laughs) Read the verse before before it. We're actually way um, underutilizing that. There's this powerful um, depth that we're like— It means you can endure all (laughs) things. Right. Yes. It's going to be a lot, but you're going to be able to do it. Yes. We're on some tangents there, but I love these tangents. I love it. We talk a lot about how to help anchor kids to more hope, and you all talked about how you're doing that at home with your boys in a beautiful way. Will you talk a little more about the work of Hope Hills Camps, what that looks Mm. like? Oh, absolutely. It's crazy. Basically, this little camp offering, which who knew what would happen? It just met such a need. We kind of stumbled upon it. There's families where someone is dealing with disabilities, and they come from 35 different states last year to rural Alabama in the summertime. It's crazy. And volunteers fly in from all over the country as well to serve these families, the one-to-one model, and basically provide these families with the top three things that research is showing that they need to thrive, which is rest, resources, and relationships. Mm. And we provide deep respite, deep soul rest resource them in every way. The camp is totally free. We fundraise all year to bring campers for free to camp in the summer. And we provide them with deep, meaningful relationships with each other and with the volunteers there who are just reaching into their lives and saying, you're not alone, which, of course, is the whole thing. I'm sure so much of what you guys do is really communicating to your clients that you are not alone in your pain. And that is what we get to do Mm -hmm. through the camp, to say you're not alone, and we're with you, and he's with you. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that, the model, too, you know, I think there's great camps, particularly because camp is so powerful. You know, you get out of your normal rhythm. You're sort of in the wonder element of the natural world and doing some fun activities, and just kind of it shakes things up to give you a different perspective on your life and each other and God, hopefully. There's camps with maybe all kids with one diagnosis or something, and that's incredible. But what we love about this family model is that the story of disability is not just to the individual with the disability, but it's to the whole family. Yes. You know, my life is forever affected by a stroke, even though I didn't have one. Right. My, so my boys' lives are yeah. forever part of that story. And there's different things that we grieve through that. There's different things we hope for through that. And there's different kind of communal aspects that we need 
as part of our healing process that can be only found when you gather other folks who are sort of these other players in the story and kind of say, oh my gosh, I'm a sibling, I'm a child, you know, my parent had this loss and this disability and, and how did you move through with that? And, yeah, and yeah. you know, sharing of those resources and sort of commiserating around that is so powerful. Then we realized that we tried to kind of limit the region or maybe even some of, you know, maybe it's people with strokes or maybe it's just moms like us. So we really get on the same page. But or we at realized, least all in the Southeast. Or all, yeah, yeah. We, we realized quickly like disability is so excluding and you feel so excluded in the world that we wanted this place to be open to anybody who self-selected into it. And so that's how we had people from all over the country. And then we had about 33 different kinds of disability Wow. And ages like zero to 75. <laughs> and so, you know, logistically, it's a total nightmare right. <laughs> to, to try to like yes. organize all of that. But what we found was so powerful is there was not that comparison trap that often happens when you're sort of even in like a wonderful support group with people with the same, say, issue or diagnosis or loss. Because sometimes then you look at that person, you say, oh, my gosh, they're so much farther along than me. And right. I wish I could right. be there. Mm. Why didn't this happen to my story? And so what's really cool about Hopiel's camp, it just sort of offsets all of that comparison to say, wow, like that story sounds so incredibly hard. I cannot believe they're going through it. And maybe if they are persevering in their story, then I can in my story too. Yes. And then they're having the exact same reaction hearing your story. And it's just, mm. I don't know, something about it. We didn't almost even intend it to be that way. We sort of just set this table to create a space that we knew we would want to go to and, and that we wanted our kids to be involved with so that they would be able to reject that victim mentality that is so easy for any of us who've gone through hard stuff to say, wow, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. And I, you know, I should be entitled to this, that, and the other. And instead to say, wow, here's an opportunity to serve. Here's other people who are going through really hard things, but finding hope in God in the midst. And mm. it's changed our boys' lives too, and mm. our own lives. And yeah, so many others. It blurs the line, I think. We say we all have invisible wheelchairs. So mm. there are these people, you know, who are volunteering and these people who are the campers, but really the lines are so blurred and man, everybody there is just looking for God in the midst of their wounds and finding him there. And it's mm. powerful. Wow. What we are seeing, and we didn't even necessarily know this would happen, is that when you gather a large group of people mm. who are all broken and many outwardly broken. Things are not okay in the story. Things have not gone well. Mm. You know, nobody's asking, okay, so do you think your kid's going to get into Harvard? <laughs> They're saying, do you think your kid's going to sleep through the night? Right. And, you know, it's just a totally Strips different... away so much. Yeah, world. It's just a, a whole different paradigm. Mm -hmm. And somehow that, like, electric bonding happens so quickly and we think the reason is that the baseline is so different nobody's mm. okay nobody's mm. life is easy and fabulous mm -hmm. and without deep pain in the story mm. but somehow gathering a whole bunch of people with major pain in the story means that there's this electrifying disruption mm. of the lie that joy can only come in the pain-free life. Mm. So everybody's wow. like, life is painful and it's hit us hard and we're not okay, mm. but we're going to celebrate that we're here together with each other. And Man. And nobody's pretending mm -hmm. like they're no longer chasing the good life. It's not available. Uh, so they're like living with joy in the heart story. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like a deep joy. Y'all got to come. It's really <laughs> electrifying. 
Well, yes, we would love it. And it just sounds so much like what the church should be. Yes. Well, exactly. you know, if we're being exactly. honest, it's, it's where we that. would be. Yes. Of well, course. Of course. Thank you for paving the way in that. So, okay, if y'all are going to pick something silly from childhood, what would you bring back today? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, totally. <laughs> this isn't that silly, but it's funny. Like we, as when I was growing up, would do these incredible National Lampoon style road trip vacations. <laughs> and that's a no for me. I'm like, I'm not <laughs> doing that. I'm sorry. We you don't want to bring that hotel back. or the beach or whatever. <laughs> but like, there was something now looking back, like so transformational about traveling together in sort of this enclosed little station wagon. Mm. And we would just wander, you know, I've been to almost all 50 states. So I've been to all these national parks and up and down the West Coast and New England. And there's just something that's so iconic, probably in that era when they had just built all the highways, you know, sort of the generation after that. And look at what we have all this access to. And now we have digital highways that we can go anywhere, but we just sit on our couch all day and it's really a tragic thing. But I think Mark Twain, there was some quote I was hearing recently about travel's fatal to prejudice and bigotry and all these things. And just Mm. sort of that, Mm. I don't know, just making sure that we know all this knowledge on our phones about the world, but to go be in the world and meet people in different cultures and environments and even just cities and Man, that changes everything, I think, for a child. And so anyway, growing back up, I need to get amped up to go get behind the station wagon wheel and drive some miles with my family. And we did. We we moved from California three years ago and and we decided to drive our car across the country. Yeah. Total blast and a mess, some of it, but it was we'll never forget it. No, that was we'll do that again, maybe. Growing up, did y'all call it the back back or the way back? When you would be in the very <laughs> yeah. back of the station well, wagon. would be like laying on top of the suitcases. <laughs> or sure. Or even the back. The way back. Yeah. <laughs> I think way back. That's <laughs> so, so dangerous probably. That's but we made it. Well. <laughs> survived the road trip. <laughs> and speaking of moving from the substantive to the silly, we love to end every episode with something kind of fun. When we have the opportunity to travel and speak, we are on a mission to try to find the best tacos in any city. We love tacos. Um, and we love to know yeah, if we got to too. share tacos with Bless the two you. of you, and we hope someday we do. I was about do. to say, I sure hope we get <laughs> oh, to. Me too, me too. What's your favorite taco? In LA, there was a place called Koji. Yeah. K-O-G-I. And it was like really the first food truck. And the chef, Roy Choi, is now, you know, some sensational, you know, viral, cool celebrity chef. But like he started out this idea of melding a restaurant and a truck in this really simple street food way. And it, it's Korean and Mexican. It's short ribs and kimchi. And it's oh, the wow. most, some people, it's, it would probably sound like the most disgusting thing, but I, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like my mouth is watering. I would absolutely I can't even fly to LA to eat it. It's wow. unbelievable. Y'all asked the right question. We're yeah. huge We're foodies. big fans of oh, good. We're major, major foodies and have been, since I learned to eat again, I didn't eat for a year after the stroke. Yeah. And ever since um, I learned to eat again, we haven't stopped eating. <laughs> so we, not sorry about it. Good question, because we probably do now. I would say the best taco I've had in Atlanta mm-hmm. is right down the road at Super Rica. It's a Ford, Ford Fry restaurant. Oh, y'all have Super Rica. I think you have one in too. We do. And oh. actually, Ford was one of my best guy friends in college. No. no yes. Way. Yes. Where? I love Ford. The University the of Arkansas. Continue. No, mm-hmm. I have no so idea. Isn't that Arkansas. amazing? Yes. I love oh my that. Gosh. Yes. That is so cool. All of his food. Yeah, I, I think probably all of the Ford Fry restaurants. Little Man. Ray uh, is phenomenal. Yes. That's yes. a great taco, too. But yes. that little taco, it's kind of like 
It's Speaking of vintage, it's like we didn't, I don't know, we didn't eat carbs in the 2000s. I don't know what happened, but we go back to Super Rica and there's that crunchy yellow shell with the orange cheese mm. on oh. top of the ground mm. beef. Yes. Oh. And it's like a flashback to 1989. And it is <laughs> done and done. It's just, it is life changing. It. It's everything. So let's have those. Oh, yes. Can we Nashville please come to yes. Atlanta and take you all out for that taco? <laughs> it's yes. date. Yeah. Come on. Oh. Love that plan. We love it. We love it. Y'all, thank you. I was thinking as y'all were talking and I was teary for about the 10th time. That I hope people aren't driving when they listen because they're going to be in trouble. Because <laughs> they're going to have to pull over. They're going to have to pull over. Thank you for the hope and beauty and redemption that y'all have shared in this time with us. Oh gosh, thank you for having us. Oh, and thank you both for doing such life giving work in this world. Yes. It genuinely, what we said on the front it is an honor to know the two of you, and we are incredibly mm. grateful you would carve out this time to be with us. It's been so rich. We love getting likewise, to talk. Guys. Yeah, likewise. Keep going. It's good hard work, but mm. we're doing it together. So yeah, absolutely. grateful for y'all too. Thanks y'all. Thanks to you both. See you at Super Rica. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow helps you make screen time meaningful for your family with shows kids love and values parents trust. Check them out at podcast.gomino.com. That's podcast.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.